0: Hey, Rule Breaker Investing listeners, thanks for listening to this bonus episode. I'm Chris Hill. You may have heard the news this week about the passing of Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard Group and creator of the first index mutual fund. At The Motley Fool, all week we've been paying tribute to his life and legacy with special articles on fool.com, audio clips on this week's Motley Fool Money Show, and we wanted to bring you this episode of Rule Breaker Investing from December 2016, a love letter to Jack Bogle.
1: It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner.
2: Last week I mentioned that I was excited this week to talk about one of my favorite living investors and I didn't mention who it was, so surprise, it's Jack Bogle. Now, A lot of you probably know who Jack Bogle is. After all, I think of him as one of the living titans of the investing world. Jack Bogle, who, it's funny to think, the first time that Tom and I saw his work, my brother Tom and I, as we were writing up The Motley Fool Investing Guide, we were actually a little critical of Bogle, just on one point. And this remains, 20-plus years later, the only point that we really disagree with Jack on. And it's that we think that picking stocks does matter. That you will be rewarded for picking this stock, not that one. And Jack's entire career is premised on the idea that that's not worth the effort, and in fact, just getting the average at a low fee for the vast majority of us is the single best thing we can do for an investment plan for the long term. And really, even though Tom and I obviously disagree on that one point, we agree on almost everything else (laughs) with Jack Bogle. And, I think we've helped promote the Vanguard index fund for 20-plus years now through our books, etc., because we have often said, now, if you don't have energy or confidence or interest in picking stocks, darn it, one of the best things you can do is open up a Vanguard mutual fund account." So. I make this episode my love letter to Jack Bogle. Jack has become a friend of The Fool over the years. I'm going to play some clips a little bit later in the show, put together by our talented producer here, Mac Greer, here at The Fool. Mac, having booked Jack Bogle, maybe more than any other guest in Motley Fool radio show and podcasting history, so we have some good stuff to share with you in a little while. And I want to get started just reading a short biography of Jack Bogle, written by Robert Brokamp of Motley Fool Answers fame. I hope you enjoy Motley Fool Answers as much as I do. Another great regular weekly podcast here at The Motley Fool. But Robert has followed Bogle for a long, long time, and I think it's important, since not everybody does know who Jack Bogle is, just to set some context, and that's what this does. So Here's a little bit about Jack Bogle from my friend Robert Brokamp, and I quote, "...it may seem odd that I consider someone who encourages investors to match the market rather than try to beat it to be among the greatest investors of all time," Robert wrote. But no one has done more for more investors than John Bogle. Early on, Bogle recognized the difficulty the average mutual fund would have in beating the market, while a senior at Princeton in the year 1951, he wrote a thesis called The Economic Role of the Investment Company, in which he said that, quote funds can make no claim to superiority over the market averages." And that management can scarcely be expected to buy so that the fund can stay ahead of the market when the very securities that it buys are a part of that market." He wrote that a fund's management should operate in the most efficient, honest, and economical way possible. That, again, all from an undergraduate's thesis. After college, Jack Bogle joined Wellington Management, working his way up to a top leadership position. But in 1974, he was fired after an ill-advised merger. So, he founded the Vanguard Group, which had and continues to have a mutual ownership structure. That is, the company is owned by the funds, which in turn are owned by the shareholders in the funds. It was the very first no-load, i.e. no-commission, fund company. Until Vanguard came around, investors had to pay an upfront commission of sometimes up to as much as 8% to get into a mutual fund. Well, Then came the launch of the first index investment trust that was in August of 1976, which was the first publicly available S&P 500 index fund. I should note, I guess that's 40 years ago this year. The banks that managed the initial offering hoped to raise $150 million at launch, but raised just over, we've all had moments like this, $11 million. 11 of the hoped-for 150 million. But Bogle was urged to close the fund, which was derisively dubbed Bogle's Folly. But he persevered, and the fund, now named the Vanguard 500, VFINX is the ticker, is the biggest stock fund in the world. It also consistently beats the overwhelming majority of other large cap U.S. funds, not to mention many individual stock pickers. And as for Vanguard, the company, Robert concluded it now offers more than 200 low cost funds and ETFs and is the second largest asset manager on the planet behind BlackRock. So there's a short view of Jack Bogle's career and what he's done. So, three things I want to share three little paragraphs in my love letter to Jack Bogle. Uh, The first one is probably the most obvious one, and that is just the invention of the index fund and how much it's done for how many people. Just think about a billion blooms blooming. I mean, How many dollars, how many families, how many people have had better investment returns with confidence because they were working with Vanguard over the last 40-plus years? It's a remarkable story. As many people as Warren Buffett has reached with his message of good capitalism, long-term-minded patience, good old-fashioned country wisdom, and, by the way, the richest investor of our time. As many people as Buffett has reached, as many people as Peter Lynch reached, maybe an era a little bit earlier, when I was coming of age, Peter Lynch was a great influence for me. But I don't think anybody, I don't think either of those gentlemen, two of our favorites here at The Motley Fool, can touch the influence that Jack Bogle has wielded over the investment world. It's not just that he's always been a reformer, that he's always tirelessly worked for the common man and for uncommonly good returns for the common man, but I think it's that he's reached so many. He's really democratized investing through the index fund. And Just to cue up our first clip, we had one of our in-house opera singers this is from our radio show the Motley Fool radio show 15 years ago or so because we thought you know we have to we have to capture this i mean it may not be as great as o sole mio or you know another great aria but but for the investment industry they needed to hear this Ah yes, that was our former employee Curtis Shoemaker. Curtis, these days, I've I've seen him on Netflix in a show or two. He's been he's made some movies since his opera aria cameo through the Motley Fool Radio Show. But you know, we figured nobody is really getting the message out there that index funds do beat mutual funds. So darn it, let's put let's put it to music. So um, a foolish memory of the past. But that's my first point of appreciation about Jack. Just they do index funds beat. So many mutual funds, 80% of managed funds each year typically will lose to the index fund. And then, the next year, they might beat it. But then, three years later, that same fund is behind it. So, the 20% that beat the index fund every year don't necessarily recur. There are some good managed funds out there, um, but index funds beat mutual funds. Okay, point number 2 of appreciation and love for Jack Bogle is I love the way he calls out his own industry. And I don't just mean Wall Street, which he's called out many times before, uh, and memorably, especially during the financial crisis, the Great Recession of 2008-09, about which we will say a little bit more later. But it's actually the mutual fund industry itself that he has sometimes bedeviled. And in particular, and this is a point of mathematics that I hope I can convey to you who are listening, whether you consider yourself mathematical or not. For years, Bogle has called out the mutual fund industry for not reporting its returns post distribution. What do I mean by that? We'll get to the math in a sec, but first let's define our terms. So every year, your mutual fund manager, if you have a mutual fund, is cashing out some winners and some losers. And net, net, if it's been a good year, cashing out more winners than losers. As that mutual fund manager trades out of one stock into another, which, by the way, I think Bogle and The Fools and many others agree, happens a little bit too hyperactively. As your mutual fund manager sells that stock to buy another, guess who gets the capital gains tax at the end of the year? You, of course. It's your money he or she's investing. And so, it's distributed to you, and you are paying Every single year, holding especially managed mutual funds, which turn over in kind of a turbocharged manner, really, relative to most index funds, those managed funds give you a tax bill at the end of every year that you have to pay. And what is happening when you're seeing mutual fund returns printed and advertised is it's not including the turnover that is occurring in the fund and the taxes that you're paying. So What looks like a 10-year run where the S&P 500 was up 125% and your fund, I'm making this up, was up 120%, a few percentage points behind the market because most are, that 120% that's being advertised, that's not your actual return if you're invested in that fund for those 10 years. It's well below that. In fact, it's sometimes about half of that after you're paying taxes each year because of your overactive Managed fund managers. So, this is a key Jack Bogle point. I tried to throw some math at you there, but I hope you understand the concept. And the industry uh, has been loath to really represent truly the returns that you and I get if we hold those funds over those periods of time. So, that's point number two of love and appreciation for Jack Bogle. And how could I not close before queuing up the rest of our clips this show? How could I not close with how he has made moral character a component? of his life and his work. He is an exemplary gentleman himself. He always has been. I'm sure he's made mistakes. So have we all. But Jack Bogle, a number of his books are just about character. I think one of his books that I still have on my shelf, I haven't read this one, is just called Character Counts. Uh, So, here we have somebody writing from seemingly from a perch somewhere around Wall Street, although it turns out it's much closer to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania than New York, New York. And he's writing as much about acting properly and thinking properly. And with the wisdom of many past greats, but here from the money industry, he's helping you and I think through the consequences of our activities and be better people as a consequence of that. And just to close that one out on a personal note, speaking of personal notes, I have one from him dated October 23rd of 2015. So, this is about a year ago. And he had just spoken at Princeton, his alma mater, um, doing a seminar entitled Business Ethics and Modern Religious Thought. That was Jack Bogle's seminar title. He wrote me humorously, as he always does, in parentheses, I'm strong on the former, weak on the latter. But why did I get this note? Because that day in his class was my daughter Kate, who graduated Princeton earlier this year. And he took the time out to have a photograph specially taken with just him and her and sent me this lovely handwritten note and a picture that we'll always treasure. And he didn't have to do that, of course. And I'm sure he's far busier than we are. Well, at least he's far busier than I am. And it just is a testament, again, to the character of the man. that he does things like that, and not just for me or for you, but for for many, many people over the course of his life. So, we have all been blessed, and I think I've led a much happier life because Jack Bogle is on this earth. Alright, those were my personal notes of appreciation. The love letter continues now. I've shared a little Robert Brokamp, I shared a little David Gardner, but now I'm going to share Jack Bogle, because he's the one who's the most eloquent voice to hear in this show, and we're going to feature him. So, I've got a number of clips queued up. I have them ordered. Okay, I mentioned earlier that Matt Greer, our longtime producer here at the Motley Fool, took some time over the last week or two to listen back through all the Bogle interviews that we've done. Um, Both my brother Tom and me, no doubt some Robert Brokamp. Jack has come and spoke at the office before, so he's Mac, you've listened to a lot of Jack Bogle, and you took the time to come up with, we're going to go with six clips. and I'm just going to play them, and then react to each of them if I have a little something to say. So The first one is, I think, one of the points I've tried to make repeatedly on this show, the importance of getting started as early as possible.
3: I think understanding compound interest will do more for the education of American youth and a thousand stock picking contests,
2: which again isn't to say that stock picking contests aren't fun and valuable. Because I think, using Motley Fool caps for example, it's a great big stock picking contest. I love it. But I think the point is clear, and that is that the earlier we can get kids going and thinking about compounding. And I do. I'm certainly a critic of some of the stock picking contests where you're in there for one month competing against your classmates and. The person who wins usually is loaded up on a single stock and it might have been a penny stock. It doesn't really teach, I think Jack would agree, it doesn't really teach great investing acumen. It doesn't get you conditioned to be a long-term thinker. But then again, I don't want to gainsay the efforts made by many social sciences teachers and others who introduced these as a brief plug-in to a course. I appreciate really any exposure the stock market gets. But Jack makes the important point there. The earlier you start that compounding clock in your life. Or the life of anybody connected to you, the better and richer you all will be. And so there's always Carpe Diem running underneath anything we're talking about when we talk about investing and the preciousness of time here at the Motley Fool. Now, clip number two is a story. It's actually a metaphor that I myself have swiped from Jack and told any number of times over the last 15 years. It's the rowboat syndrome.
3: In a, you're your own worst enemy. You're bullish when the market's at an all-time high and want to buy. You're bearish when the market's at an all-time low and want to sell. Well, if that isn't a sure way to to lose money, I wouldn't know what would be. If visualize somebody sitting in a rowboat rowing away at top speed, he knows absolutely exactly where he's been and has no idea where he's going.
2: Because he's looking backwards sitting in the rowboat.
3: And we all do that, and that's the emotion of, of all the emotions. We really ought to get out of this.
2: And it's a great metaphor, and I've used it. To really kind of illustrate this primary point, why people buy high and sell low. And let me just add a little bit in about that right now. So, what do we do as we paddle down the river of life? If we're in a rowboat, we're looking backwards, as Jack so eloquently said. And if that's what we're doing as investors, it usually sounds something like this You know, I admit it, I haven't got started investing. It's taken me a while, uh, but I've been listening to the podcast or I've tapped into Fool.com. I'm finally ready to get started. And usually what's happening that person, there's a little bit of a subconscious thing going on where the market's probably been pretty good. And so that's why they feel like they've missed it and they need to kind of finally get on board with it and unfortunately, that's often maybe the point the cycle is about to turn. So paddle 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 looking backwards, that person finally gets started investing and buys. And what's about to happen? Well, the average bear market lasts I think the average is actually under a year. Some of the longest bear markets aren't nearly as long as we think. Maybe three years, if you're actually talking about the actual drop of stocks, um, is about as long as any of them ever get. So, somewhere around six to 18 months later, this, this person who is enthusiastic finally to get started is now disconsolate, paddle, 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 looking backwards, looking backwards at a market that might have given up 20% of its value over the last 11 months. And So, what does that person do? Well, unfortunately, that person sells. He or she thinking at that point, you know, I probably should never have gotten started. I finally did it. I invested, and look what happened. My hard-earned savings are now less because I invested. Maybe I don't really know what I'm doing, and so that person, paddle, 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 sells. And that's why, as Jack Bogle has taught us, people buy high and sell low. So what I've often said in conclusion is, toss away your paddle and get out of the rowboat. Why not take a sailboat instead? And to me, the sailboat is that nine to ten percent annualized returns that the stock market has given you if you just let it. If you just sit there in the boat, have a good time, go faster with a lot less effort. Clip number three::
3: And as I've said in a thousand different ways on different subjects, and welcome to my associates here at Vanguard, If there's a gap between perception and reality, it's only a matter of time until reality takes over.
2: Speaks for itself. All right, clip number four was when we asked Jack what he'd like his legacy to be. Keep in mind, we asked him this somewhere around the year 2003. So, I I hope he'd still give a similar answer here in 2016. I'm just glad he's still with us 13-plus years later. Go, Jack!
3: My outlook is uh, sunny. Uh, My optimism is great. My idealism is greater than when I first got into this business 50 years ago, 52 years ago, and uh, I'm a lucky guy. And hmm. if I can help investors do a better job, help this industry do a better job, although the industry won't consider it as help, uh,
2: I will. I, I will have. Uh, I'll go to my my reward with a with a smile. And all I really want to add to that one is that Jack Bogle was born on May 8, 19. 19- 29. What a year to be born. May 8th, 1929, in Verona, New Jersey. So as we close out the year 2016, Jack Bogle is 87 years young. Clip number five, I think Mac, you selected this because it's a great example of Bogle's humor. Anytime you spend more than five or ten minutes with Jack Bogle, you'll discover two additional things. One, he has a great sense of humor, two, he's a storyteller. So you'll probably hear a funny story from him within your first five or 10 minutes of encountering the man. Uh, So, we had a fun format that we used on The Motley Fool Radio Show. We continue to do this in some of our podcasts, and we might even bring it back to this show at some point, because I always loved it. And it's the buy, sell, or hold segment that we do. So, we would have bright lights like Jack Bogle on the show, and we'd ask them, not about stocks, but maybe trends or things happening in our culture or people, and ask if they were stocks, we would say, buy Sell or hold. So, this a little bit more extended clip is Jack Bogle playing our buy, sell, or hold game with my brother Tom and me. And the subjects are Warren Buffett, cheesesteaks, and Britney Spears. Okay, let's start with buy, sell, or hold Warren Buffett.
3: Buy. He's a fundamental value investor. Uh, he would diversify a portfolio of U.S. stocks because he has some high grade stocks in there but has also done very well over a long period of years in insurance company holdings. And he's, a very, he's more of an insurance company uh, than he is a U.S. Uh, stock investor now.
2: Okay, Jack, you live in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania in the area. Buy, sell, or hold Philly cheesesteaks. Buy, hold
3: Philly cheesesteaks.
2: <laughs> okay, why are you holding?
3: Uh, well, I'm holding them only if you don't have heart problems, uh, because they've got A, cheese, and B, steak. Uh, And uh, I would say the cholesterol lovers, uh, those that can handle it anyway, should be entitled to a uh, good—they're delicious, but should be entitled to a good Philly cheesesteak. But I'm not putting it on buy because you might do it more than, say, once a month.
0: Okay, John, our final one, buy, sell, or hold teen pop sensation Britney Spears.
3: Well, I would sell Britney Spears.
2: (laughs) Okay, let's hear why.
3: Well, she's a little sultry for an older fellow like me, a little (laughs) (laughs) goo-goo-eyed. And, uh, you know, I don't know. She's displaying a certain amount of virtue that we don't, didn't used to see on the, on the stage.
2: Oh, that still makes me laugh. And that was Chris Hill. I'm sure you recognize Chris's voice if you're a Motley Fool podcast listener. You know, back in the day, Chris was a co-host of the Motley Fool radio show before we all moved on to the podcasting goodness we bring you now in 2016. All right, and the last Bogle clip is him telling the story of how he named his 2009 book Enough, how he named it Enough.
1: Kurt Vonnegut and Joe Heller, the author of Catch-22, of course, are going to a party in Shelter Island, that lifestyles of the rich and famous and socially prominent place off Long Island in New York, to a party given by a billionaire hedge fund manager. And they get into the party and Kurt says, Joe... See that guy over there? He's a hedge fund manager, billionaire, and he made more money today, this one day, than you have made on every copy of Catch-22, probably the biggest book of the post-war generation, post-World War II generation, uh, ever sold. He said he's made more money than you on every book, every copy of Catch-22 that has ever been sold. And Joe Heller looked at Kurt Vonnegut and said, that's okay, because I have something he will never have. Enough. Enough. (laughs) And that's where the story comes from.
2: And in this season of Yuletide, this season of plenty and abundance, I hope it is for you. It's awfully good to be reminded of that. Well, thank you, Jack Bogle. Thank you for what you've meant to The Motley Fool. I want to welcome in Motley Fool producer Mac Greer. Mac, first of all, this is the month of gratitude on Rule Breaker Investing, and I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the time that you put in to sit back through certainly a lot more Bogle clips than we could actually play on the show, but for all the work that you did, not just in the last two weeks, but how about the last 15-plus years or so that we've worked together, when you've had and booked great people like Jack Bogle? Well, David, it's been great. Um, I started at The Fool
0: in August of 1998. and I will confess that I did not know who Jack Bogle was when I started here.
2: August nineteen ninety eight. Wow, Mac, I didn't realize it's been it's been eighteen years. It's been it's been a while. Yeah. So you and I had some good FaceTime with Bogle over the years. But in particular I was remembering one time that we were in your native city of Houston, Texas. And there was a book signing that we did together with Jack, right? Yeah, there was a book signing. Um, you and Tom
0: and Jack Bogle had been keynote speakers at the Houston Chronicle Financial Conference. Yes. The newspapers. We met Ken his, Lay at that, that's at that right. conference. That's right. And the, I think we asked him to be our next CEO, <laughs> and uh, he declined, which ended up being a good thing. Enron's Ken Lay, yeah. Yikes. Anyway, we were driving, and and I should define our terms, we were driving in the Foolmobile, which, for those of you not familiar with the Foolmobile, was an SUV with an inflatable fool cap. Which was kind of like a moon bounce, but it was like a full cap.
2: Yeah, now the full mobile still exists today, but the cap is gone. Cap probably is gone. for reasons that are understandable to us. Right, right. Looking back, it may have been a questionable. Doesn't work so well with SUVs. And terrible
0: mileage. But anyway, so we're driving <laughs> we're driving from one event to the other. I remember Jack Bogle basically hitching a ride with us. I think we were going to a book signing, and Jack was doing the book signing as well. So he said, Hey, you know, can I come along in the full mobile? So sure enough, here we are, downtown Houston driving with Jack Bogle. I'm in the back seat. You and Tom in the front seat, I think?
2: No, I think I was toward the back as well, because I I, I can still picture it all. So, I was definitely toward the back of the full Mobile
0: as well. Okay, and I remember I'm yapping his ear off. I do remember (laughs) that, because I was very excited. But we were going through a very seedy, dodgy part of town. And I can say that, because I'm from Houston. And by dodgy, I mean tattoo parlors, um, video stores, and I'm not talking like the family-friendly video stores. Right, not
2: Blockbuster. No,
0: not, no, not Blockbuster. Of your. Very, very dodgy, very <laughs> dicey. And Jack Bogle turns to us, and you remember what he said?
2: I can't exactly verbatim remember, and I know you have the best memory at Blue HQ Max, so I know you remember what Jack Bogle said.
0: He said something in his beautiful baritone voice, something along the lines of, we're not going to be telling Mrs. Bogle about this. <laughs> so he just had this amazing sense of humor and as you mentioned earlier david just all types of integrity just as true as the day is long and so um i i just share your your love letter to him and and he's one of those guys that when you finally meet him and you've read
2: so much about him and you've heard so much about him he is who you want him to be Mm. all right thus ends for now, anyway, our love letter to Jack Bogle. Jack, thank you. Thank you, Rule Bakers. Thank you, Robert Brokamp, Mac and Rick Engdahl, who tirelessly works to re-edit all of my flubs every week that you never actually hear on this show. Anyway, I hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday season. Talk to you next week. Fool on!
1: As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.